I was going to say to you, it's going to be awful hard for me not to cry today. And then I start crying before I can say that. So, um, Ironically, I had an uncle pass away on the same day that Dennis uh, died on Monday. Uh, my uncle was the same age as Dennis um, and had three sons or has three sons. They're still alive, of course. And so I'll be going down tomorrow and uh, doing my uncle's funeral on Tuesday. I told my mom I didn't want to, but I got, uh, I got asked anyway. I, I didn't want to because I just, just wanted to be. But uh, they need me to do the service, so I'll, I'll be doing that on Tuesday evening. And then um, my, my daughter's here, and the guy that took her from me. That's still emotional. <laughs> I'm praying about it. No, he's a great guy. I, I'm so thankful that the Lord gave Lauren Sam. Um, but then my parents were here this week for Thanksgiving, and uh, that was that was emotional in a good way. You know, was, my mom, it's her brother who passed away, so um, it was just a an interesting week. Of course, I had the privilege, along with others of you here, of serving alongside Dennis and, and being close to Dennis over the years and really seeing him uh, up close and personal. And so I've had a lot of thoughts this week about Dennis and the difference that he made. And uh, one thing I thought about, well, one of the things was that, you know, right now, uh, if you want to know where Dennis is, let me just tell you where he is right now, okay? This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So if you want to know where Dennis is right now, he is in that great cloud of witnesses. So, so Dave, I'm sorry, this is kind of like Memorial Week for Dennis, it's It's not going to be a memorial service. Uh, In other words, I'll have other things to say about Dennis during this service. He's he's still with us. He's a part of that great cloud of witnesses looking down upon us. And the idea is that of of a stadium where you have onlookers and and you're still on the field and you're still running the race, right? You're, You're in the game, so to speak. And these witnesses are looking down, and they are cheering you on. That's the picture we have from this verse. He is very much alive. He's in the presence of Jesus. Another thought I had was, I mean, when you guys held his hand this past week, he was already holding the hand of of Jesus. So it's like you were just two hands away from Jesus. I mean, isn't that, I mean, like, you know, Jesus in his fullness, right? And I... To me, it just, it just brings things into much greater clarity. It's like, wow, this guy that I, I know and loved and served with is now where I want to be. He is in the presence of Jesus, and that's got to be, like, incredible. I, I can't even imagine. And so I want to start by just thanking Dis, uh, Dennis for, for making today matter, for making right now matter. 
Because this is what it's all about. This is truly what it's all about. This is why you are here. This is why you come. You don't come to check a list, right? I mean, we're going to talk about that today. You don't come just because, you know, you've got your religion. I hope not. (laughs) I hope you're coming because you want to see Jesus and and you want to do whatever you got to do to make that happen, right? We're going to talk about that today. In fact, let's just jump right in before I um, lose a lot of time here. And and let me give you um, give you a verse out of Matthew chapter fifteen to begin with. And this verse kind of helps us see what what Philippians three, the passage we're going to look at, wants us to avoid. Okay, here it is: Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says to them, "You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said." This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teachings as doctrine, the commandments of men. So out of that, I've got this central idea for you. A Christianity that stops short of the heart is worthless. But a heart fully devoted is of immeasurable worth. See, we don't want a Christianity that stops short of the heart. We want a Christianity that's something more than skin deep. That's, that's what we're after, and I think that's what Philippians chapter 3 is after. So if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, I want to look at that text with you first, and then I'll give you my point, the first point. So Philippians chapter 3, actually John was in this passage last week, but it's a well there's, there's much more water here to draw, so we're going back again this week. Let's read it together. Philippians chapter 3 is on the screen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and safe for you. Look out for the dogs, for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, here's my first point. Beware of what will shrink your heart. So we want to steer clear of heartless Christianity. 
We don't want to stop short of the heart in our Christianity. So beware of what will shrink your heart or what will prevent you from getting down to the heart of the matter. And Paul kind of points it out for us, what will actually do that. It is basically just cold religion, cold, meaningless religion. You know, it's easy to serve the Lord in relation to form and ceremony. And let's face it, we here, we have a form and ceremony. We may, not, we may not be high on liturgy, but yet we have a form, we have a ceremony. We have things that we do that we consider to be important. And they are, but the danger is that we can get the cart ahead of the horse, right? We can start thinking that because of what we do, we're accepted before God. We can start counting those things as righteousness. And we can start measuring ourselves in relation to the things that we do. Well, Paul is steering us away from this. Another thing Paul is steering us away from is people who would teach such to us or who would lead us to think that that is the extent of Christianity. Cold religion. Paul says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. Watch out for the people who preach a heartless Christianity. Watch out for the people who stop short of the heart and who talk in terms of Christianity only in keeping with what you should do. He says, we worship not externally, not simply externally, but we worship by the Spirit of God. And we're the true Christian church, those who worship by the Spirit of God. And those who glory in Christ Jesus. So when you study this text, the impression you get is that there is a, a kind of form of religion. There's this external approach that if, if you're not careful, you'll stop short with that. And that will keep you from glorying in Christ Jesus. So it becomes kind of like an inoculation. The religion does, right? You, you get a shot that prevents you from getting the real thing. So we have to be very, very careful. And it's interesting, in the passage that I opened with there in Matthew 15, you know who Jesus is talking to? He's talking to the religious folk. He's not talking to the average sinner. He's not talking to the prostitutes and the winos, the drug addicts. He's talking to religious people. And he says, you know what? Your hearts are far from me. So here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is getting at that. We have this expounding, if you will, on this idea that Jesus is proposing in Matthew 15. He says, watch out for this type of Christianity, a Christianity that influences you to put your hope in what you do. And listen, let me tell you, it is very subtle. It is extremely subtle. Just the other day, I was in need of something, and so I started praying about it. Now, I've been a Christian for years, okay? I've read this passage, I can't tell you how many times. 
I've preached on this passage before. This is nothing new to me. So I start praying, and you know what I catch myself doing in that moment in my mind? I catch myself with a measuring cup in my hand, trying to see if I have enough value to merit the answer to the prayer that I'm asking. It's so, it's so, in other words, did I do enough this last week in order that, that God would look upon me favorably and maybe help me out with this thing that I'm asking for? Did, did I do enough? Have I been kind enough? Have I been nice enough to my wife? Did I, did I get the garbage up and take it out? You know, it's, it, it's this sort of surveying that goes on, this measuring, if you will. It's a very subtle thing. And it's not something we're always aware of. I think there's a place for examining ourselves. But we have to be very careful that when we're examining ourselves, we're not also attaching to it our acceptance, our approval before God. Right? We have to separate that out. And a lot of times we don't. The point is that many times our Christianity is simply just that. It's simply a measurement of how good we're doing. It's a performance. And that's as far as it goes. So that, in essence, our acceptance before God, our entrance into heaven is based on how well we did, how well we performed. And that is not true Christianity. Now, Christianity involves performance. I don't want to do away with that. It it involves performance. I pursue holiness. But that is not all Christianity pursues in me or wants from me. In fact, it's certainly not the first thing Christianity wants from me. The first thing Christianity wants from me is my heart. So let me ask you this, guys, back to the wife. If your wife says to you, honey, do you love me? And you say something like, well, you know I do. Don't you remember that day in 1975 I said I do? The preacher says, hey, do do, do you, you know, are you going to stick with her here? Are you going to care for her? And I said, yes. Will that fly in 2017? I don't think so. So we don't expect it to work on that level, right? Why do we expect our Christianity to work? Then, when in essence we would answer the, the, a similar question, well, God, you know I go to church every week. <laughs> you know once a month I catch some religious TV. You know I'm giving a little bit along the way, or I, I give. We never say a little bit. We always think it's a lot. You, you know, I'm help. I, I, I did that deed for the neighbor. Right? No. That's not, that's not the nature of true Christianity. The nature of true Christianity, heart first, heart most. And then all this other stuff pours out of a heart that can't wait to serve its love. Beware of what will shrink your heart. The very thing that you've committed yourself to, religion, religion will shrink your heart if you're not careful. Religion will cause you to miss the mark. 
It'll cause you to miss the boat because you're pulling up short and you're thinking, I'm okay, I'm doing, I'm doing what I need to do and I'm good, I'm good. I've got this thing down. I'm checking the boxes. That's not an old message. We've preached this message before. But, it, but it's an old problem. It's an age-old problem. And every one of us can find ourselves defaulting to that. So, you need to suffer. By the way, this sermon is on suffering. Suffering in this passage, by the way, Paul says, if you want to know where suffering is, look at verse 7, chapter 3 of Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Um, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. So, so basically we don't count anything as gain. Nothing is gain. Whatever I've achieved, it is no gain. In fact, Paul says in this passage, he counts them as rubbish. What All those things he listed prior, things that he had achieved in his life, he says, I count them as garbage. So you, in your Christianity, you ought to be like garbage collectors, right? You ought to walk around with a garbage bag every day. And when you find yourself latching on to some sort of self-confidence, self-righteousness, you pull it out and you throw it in the garbage bag. Both tenses of the verb is here. When he says, I count this as lost, I count everything as lost, One count is past tense. The other count is present tense. Keep counting. Keep counting. Do not allow yourself to stand on any vestige of self-righteousness ever. Throw it away. That's what Paul is. I throw it away. I count it all as rubbish. Think about this. This is, I thought about this this week. This is how you should view yourself. Imagine yourself to be uh, the victim of a burnout. And maybe you have been. Right? So you lost your home. You lost all your belongings to a fire. Or imagine yourself standing in the position of someone who has experienced that. Can you imagine what it's like? You stand there and you have nothing. It is all gone. All taken from you. Even those cherished pictures, right? Everybody says, if my house got on fire, that's what I'd grab. The pictures, right? Of course, now they're in the cloud. Which in that case is a good thing. Maybe you won't get burned. But anyway, everything's burned up. You have nothing left and you stand there. And let's just say you're standing there in your underwear. For the sake of illustration. <laughs> and you got to borrow clothes, right? You, you even have to borrow clothes because you got nothing. That's how you should view yourselves when it comes to righteousness. As beggars, as paupers, nothing, nothing. That requires some suffering, right? So Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Let him take up his cross and follow me. He also said, if you want to gain your life, you must do what? 
He also said, if, if you don't lose everything you have, you can't be my disciple. <laughs> That's some pretty deep stuff. And certainly, that encompasses our self-righteousness. Our own, what some would call, dignity. Beware of what will shrink your heart. Here's the problem. Self-righteousness will keep you from Jesus. Suffer the loss of all things. If you don't, you will be kept, or if you, if you don't, you'll be kept from Jesus. Now, here's my second point. Know how to enlarge your heart on the other hand. So, the passage down in verse 10 there, of the verse he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings. So he says, listen, I'm throwing everything away. I'm putting everything on the garbage heap so that I may know Christ. Okay, so there's the trade-off, right? I'm getting rid of this, all self-confidence, all self-righteousness. I'm getting rid of, so that I may know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. And so that's kind of an an enigmatic phrase there's like the fellowship of his sufferings what what is that well i was thinking about it this past week and uh a question that came to my mind was you know because it another thing it says is um trade all this stuff for you know which is essentially worthless this this garbage right Trade that for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, right? And then later he says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. So I, I was thinking about surpassing worth, and I thought, wow, the worth of Christ. And then I thought, was there ever a time, <laughs> why I thought this, I don't know, but was there ever a time when a value was, was placed on Christ? I think maybe I got there by, by going, um, what kind of value would you place on Christ? And then it dawned on me that there was a time in the life of Christ that a value was placed on him. Do you remember that time? Do you? Well, here's the passage. Matthew 27. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, well, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple there, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought uh, with them the potter's field as a burial place for the strangers. For strangers, Therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. I read that passage. And... I was immediately aghast. Now, again, I've, I've connected with this passage before, but not like the other day. And because coming at it from this angle, maybe, 
caused it to look a little differently, right? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 30 pieces of silver. And I looked it up. That's about three months' wages. That was the price that was placed upon Jesus when he was betrayed. That's what he was sold out for. Jesus sold out for 30 pieces of silver. And you know what I was doing in that moment? I was getting mad. I was. I was getting angry. I was having an emotional reaction. And I was saying, you got to be you got to be kidding me. You took my Lord. You took the one who died for me and, and gave himself up for me. And you sold him for 30 pieces of silver. How could you do that? How could I was I was just totally dismayed. And then here's the next thought in my thought process. I thought, you know what? Judas is not just a man. Judas is every man. And then it was like a dagger right to the heart. Because now I started to see that I'm, I'm as guilty as Judas. Who am I? I got this big beam in my own eye and I'm judging Judas. How many times have I sold Jesus out for even less than 30 pieces of silver? Not even three months wages. How many times have I done that in my life? And you don't think you're capable of that? You might say, well, that's you, Pastor Phil. Or you might say, well, that was Judas. Listen, when Jesus told his disciples, his 12 closest followers, on the night before his crucifixion, that one of you is going to betray me, you know what they said? You know what they all said? Is it I? You know why they said it? Because they knew they were capable of it. They knew it could be them. Now, I say this to you to demonstrate that when the verse says, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, do you see what's happening there? Do you see that fellowship that's taking place? Okay, I am fellowshipping through this passage. Of, I'm fellowshipping with the suffering of Jesus. I'm entering into this experience that Jesus had with Judas, and now I'm owning it. Now I'm Judas. There's a fellowship that's happening, and in that fellowship, I am seeing my sinfulness to a great degree. And as I see my sinfulness, you know what's happening to my heart? My heart is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger about Jesus. And His worth, which maybe was... Here is going here and here and here and here. Now, if I stop short with external religion, I never go over here because I'm satisfied over here. I'm good. What I need to be over there trying to know Jesus more. I, I'm good, man. I'm good. I got my religion. No, you get in the garbage. I'm going over here. I want to know Jesus. 
I want to know Je- I want to fellowship with him. And as a result, my heart is going to grow. Now, that is suffering too. It's called the fellowship of his sufferings. That is suffering too. Let, let me tell you, it is no good feeling to realize that you're no better than Judas. That is no good feeling. But it's true. That, deny that, and then what that means is that you underestimate what it means to be a sinner. We have, we have stories like this in the Bible to show us what it means to be a sinner. We identify with Peter. We identify with Judas. Now, I'm so thankful for the other side of that verse. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Because here's what, here's what happens. And this gets into the sermon on joy that's coming next week. Here's what happens. You see this about yourself, right? And you're down there scraping rock bottom because you realize you're a betrayer too. And then Jesus, you're there as it were with your head bowed and Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I forgive you. (laughs) I forgive you. It's all gone. Yeah, you betrayed me. You sent me to the cross. But it's okay. That was by design. I wanted to go actually. I wanted to die for this mess so that you could be free because if I hadn't died for it, you would be bound by it still and you would never get free and you would die in hell. But you're free. I forgive you of your sin. And when you get up from that moment and you go, thank you, Jesus, and that burden's lifted off of you, you know what that is? That's knowing him in the power of his resurrection. (laughs) Right? That's a resurrection moment. That's a harbinger of the resurrection that is to come when you get up forever. And you're totally free. Never again to be bound by sin and totally joyful. (laughs) That's painful. It's painful to face yourself as a sinner. That's suffering. But let me tell you, it's the best suffering you'll ever do. Because if you don't face that kind of suffering, if you don't see yourself and the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus, which was suffering for you and your sin, then you will not know joy. You will not know the power of his resurrection. You won't know what you were resurrected from. Here's the last thing, and I just want to say it briefly. The last thing is, well, let me say the first thing. Beware of what will shrink your heart. The second thing is, know how to enlarge your heart. By fellowshipping in the sufferings of Jesus and the poverty's resurrection. And then finally, leave behind a heart for God. So once you, once you get there, see, now you, now you have this heart for God. <laughs> now you have something to give. 
Listen, the greatest gift you could ever give anybody, and this, this is where Side by Side comes in. Our series is called Side by Side. That's our series, right out of Philippians chapter 1. This is, this is where Side by Side comes in. The greatest gift you could give another person, especially another believer in your church family, is a heart for God. So in other words, they see you as a person with a heart for God. And the only way your heart's going to grow is you get past religion and you get into the presence of Jesus and you fellowship with him in his sufferings and you know him in the powers of his resurrection. Your heart is going to grow and it's going to grow and you're going to love him more and you're going to pursue him more. And then the people around you are going to see that. And they're going to want what you have. They're going to want you to show them how to get there. Now, I'm so thankful to Dennis for giving me a great illustration. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have to find some person out there wherever, like in history, and bring them in and say, this guy did what I was talking about. Now, let that encourage you. All I got to do is say, look at Dennis Gustafson. Look at his life. This brother that served in the midst of us, a heart for God he had. And what a gift. What a gift. Are you inspired by Dennis Gustafson? Are you inspired? Your heart has been filled with sadness this week, but has it not been filled with joy? Because you can't think about Dennis without thinking about where he is, like I said to begin with. He's in the presence of Jesus. This guy that I just saw a few days ago is in Jesus' presence right now. And that's where I'm going. And I even want to be there more now. So it's like, okay, whatever he did, I want to do that. I want to imitate him. You say, well, you're only supposed to imitate Jesus. Well, how about this verse, Tim? Brothers, join in imitating me, as Paul is writing, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's just a few verses later. Listen. I love coming to church. I love getting in God's Word. I love preaching. love being with you, looking at God's Word, because... This is reality, right? This is reality. This, what we're doing right now, we're looking into eternity. This is forever. This is what matters. This is what matters. You having a heart for God is what matters. You making impact on the people around you is what matters. So don't. Don't play around with religion. Don't just stop there. Right? Get an enlarged heart. Get in the presence of Jesus. He is of surpassing worth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this occasion, Lord. Thank you for your help today, your scriptures your truth. 
Father, we know full well that what we say from this, from this pulpit, this stage, it's, it's simply words, sentences, paragraphs. We try to convey a thought. But it is thoroughly human with all of its flaws and weaknesses. But yet, Lord, I thank you that you take our weak efforts, you take our weak attempts, and you you use them. And I pray that right now that's exactly what you're doing in the hearts of everyone here. Lord, draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to you. Don't allow us to stop short. But may we be wholly devoted to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Give us the ability to do that by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Don't forget, as Dave indicated earlier, there's a service.